Hello everyone and welcome back to the Underground Mess Hall. Finn McHale here and today we're going to be talking about mythologies and pantheons that show up in our modern media. But we're going to specifically talk about one I don't think gets a lot of love or a lot of representation really. Which is really weird considering the facts I'm going to go into. So to start off, one thing we really like to do is to bring in mythologies and have them be, you know, not just helpful shortcuts, but reimaginings of different gods and heroes from like myth mythology and different pantheons. You know, I, I think some of the biggest ones you can easily point to are the Greek and the Roman, the Norse, the Japanese, and the Chinese myths. Especially when you look at how video games depict them and everything, and TV shows and movies. Like, just look at video games, for instance. We have. The Okami, we have Okami, we have Neo, we have, um, what's that one, I'm trying to think, oh, Ghost of Tsushima, you know, just references, probably references or reimaginings, which are really, really awesome. Then you have the Greeks, you know, God of War, and like, I think American Gods too features some of them as well, you know, especially with the Norse, you know, they show up in God of War too, the most recent one. In Chinese, I believe Genshin Impact, but another thing too is all these show up in Smite. Now we're going to try and stay away from Smite, which is a multiplayer online battle arena game, because they do introduce the one pantheon I do want to talk about, but the first two gods are going to introduce, or characters, are pretty much already very well known. And that pantheon is the Babylonian pantheon. I guess a better way also you could describe it is because not all the Babylonian gods are inherently unique because you had the Akkadians and the Assyrians too in the same time frame. So some of these gods might be, some of those gods might be mashups or syncretic with other gods. Not to say that like they don't have any value or unoriginal, but you know, those are the closest interpretations you'll get. And I think the Babylonians have the best records, if I'm remembering correctly, and that's why we know a lot about them, and usually they get credit. Even though they all, three of those groups, worship the same gods, essentially. So, the biggest thing that I, I really find interesting is they don't show up a lot. Yet, here's something I think people forget is the Epic of Gilgamesh is one of the oldest written pieces of literature in the history of, you know, humanity. And why he hasn't shown up more. Now, just to be, you know, transparent and everything, I do realize he does regularly appear in a, a franchise, but it's Final Fantasy. And from my recollection, I can't think of any other Babylonians that or Babylonian gods or mythos that show up in the Final Fantasy franchise, Gilgamesh kind of ends up being the major one alongside Enkidu. And that's another thing too, is Enkidu kind of falls by the wayside. And so does Utnapishtim. It's usually Gilgamesh that shows up. So that's already like two gods you can knock off, including, here's another thing too, the Bull of Heaven and Ishtar, who I want to get into later as well. And I, I, this is just really interesting to me because Gilgamesh and also Tiamat, the main creator deity in 
you know, Babylonian and Mesopotamian myth are the two most well-known. And Tiamat, mainly because of D&D, I, I would assume. But it's just interesting that it's Tiamat and Gilgamesh. And these are the two reasons why I don't want to stick with Smite currently as a discussion point. Because Tiamat just got introduced alongside the Babylonian pantheon in Smite. And the next one that's going to be released is Gilgamesh. So I don't find any value in talking about it when the two most common and well-known within the social ether of our Babylonian Mesopotamian myths are those two. Especially with how well-known they are. I just don't think that that's a good starting point or another point to try and investigate. But here's a game where we can actually look at something. That's Persona 5, or the Shin, which is a part of the Shin Megami Tensei franchise. They have a lot of Mesopotamian deities and creatures in there, which I think is really awesome because we don't get to see a lot of them. For instance, Pazuzu, Anzu, and Ishtar all show up in Persona 5. And I'm going to be honest, you know, one of the reasons why I'm bringing this up is because I believe video games are a great form of tangential learning, which is basically you go into an activity and you experience something that may not be directly related to the activity, so you go and investigate it more and you learn that way. That's basically what video games are. I mean, look at God of War. I mean, probably a ton more people went back and revisited the myths after playing those games. With Persona, they have a lot of different deities and pantheons in the form of Personas, which I really think... And they also have some really, like, out-there ones I've never heard of. Like the Mornger, or whatever that's called. You know, that that's really cool to me, too, you know, that they bring this in. One of my main points with all this is... It's just interesting to me that there's a lot of really cool gods and shit in Mesopotamian and Babylonian myth. But it's not explored. And so, the way I want to, you know, this isn't like a deep dive or an exploration into why, necessarily. This is just an observational because, I mean, there's so many cool deities, like especially when you realize what some of these gods are the gods are. And so, to end out this episode... I want to tell you the myth of Ishtar going into the underworld. Now, the way this myth, there's multiple interpretations, but the one I'm going to go with today is, I think, a common one. So we're going to go with this one. And Ishtar had a boyfriend, Tammuz, and he died. And, you know, she was very upset by this, so she tried to get a new bow, and that was Gilgamesh. However, Gilgamesh rebuffed her, and she didn't like this, so she sent a plague or disease to Enkidu, and that's how Enkidu dies, and that's how Gilgamesh gets put on this quest to go visit Utnapishtim. Now, afterwards, she realizes, well, you know, trying to rebound romance didn't really work out. So, she just decides to go to the underworld. Now, the thing is... In, there's multiple gates to the underworld, and the way to go further is you have to basically give up a piece of your clothing. And so she basically has to strip while going down to the underworld to get her boyfriend back. When she gets there, she meets Erish Kegel, the Queen of the Dead. 
and she's like, hey, I like my boyfriend back, you know, and I'm gonna get the hell out. And Erish Kegel said, uh, hold up, bitch, you don't run the underworld. I do. And so, you know, after getting chewed out, you know, Ishtar's kind of like, well, alright, then I'm just gonna bounce. But Erish Kegel pulls a fast one and says, hold on, this might seem like I'm playing a fast one, but there's the rules of the underworld. It's easy to get in, it's a pain in the ass to get out. So she inflicts her with like a ton of diseases, I think the number is up to 60, and she passes out. So now, <laughs> Ishtar now needs to be saved. So this is actually ends up becoming a problem for the world because Enki or Ennu, I believe, who is the son of Tiamat, by the way, and another major creator, he's the one that creates humanity. He is like, uh, nothing fertile's going on. This is because Ishtar's the goddess of love, fertility, and war. Because she's stuck in the underworld, um, no fertility shenanigans are going on. And Enki's like, uh, this is a problem, what the hell? So, he creates this gender, amb gender ambiguous figure named Azu... Let me, let me read this real quickly before I mess it up. Azu Shunamir. And he sends him down to the underworld. And he woos, actually, Arish Kegel. And, you know, Azushunamir asks, Hey, is that the water of life? And she's like, yeah. And he goes, could I take a look at it? And she goes, yeah, and fills a goblet. And he sprinkles it on Ishtar, which cures her. And so Ishtar looks at him, realizes he was sent there to help her, and goes, we gotta get the hell out of Dodge. And they haul ass. Erish Kegel's really pissed about this, and so she inflicts a curse on all of Azushunamir's progeny, or people, is more accurate. It basically said, puts a curse on saying, you will be part of the shadows of society, you will be outcasts. And, you know, when they get out, you know, Ishtar's kind of like, that was a dick move and that's unfair, and I think she can't undo it, so what she does is she says, Okay, you might have gotten cursed, but I'll give you a boon, and that is the boon of the abilities of healing and prophecy. And that's the end of that myth. Now, just from that myth alone, you know, we learn more about, I think a lot of you learn more about Ishtar, and have now learned about the character of Tammuz, Erish Kegel, Azushunamir, and Enki. And I think that's something really, really cool because no matter how many people this reaches, the fact that this myth is now being heard by someone, they might get the inspiration to reinterpret it in some way for a video game, a story they're writing. And that's what I want is I kind of want to spread more of these myths around, you know, of pantheons or myths that we don't really know about and just to get people more aware because I think there's a lot of potential just with that one story I mean really think about that that one story I just told you has a lot of potential but you know that's just my thoughts Ben McHale signing out <laughs>